This is Design Huddle, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs and professionals looking to level up in their design career. Each week, myself, Brandon Gross, a designer and digital strategist, and Ryan Warner, a UX designer, step inside the minds of the most creative people on the planet. This podcast touches a variety of disciplines ranging from design, digital strategy, user experience, and social media. Our goal here is to educate by striking a balance between practical and creative advice. So if you like storytelling, funny commentary, and learning how to level up in your design career and get hired, subscribe to Design Huddle and join the fam. Thanks for listening. Now let's huddle. Guys, today we have a very special guest today on Design Huddle, all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, where he resides at an amazing design and engineering studio that goes by the name of Upstatement. They definitely have some kick-ass work, and their website speaks for itself. There's a link in the podcast description below, so open it while you're listening to us. Trust me, your eyes will shit themselves in a good way. Our guest here today has tons of experience in the design and tech industry, and he's had the pleasure of working with not just this list, so many more, but here are a couple. PBS, MIT, Bloomberg, and Tito's Handmade Vodka. And you know, after I saw that, I had to have him on. So... With all that said, the reason I'm super excited with having him today is because we have the principle of design at Upstatement today, and we're going to get into a variety of topics from how he started in his career to design, engineering, and career tips and tricks. So without any further ado, please help me in welcoming to Design Huddle, Scott Dassey. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Now, I have a serious question before we begin. Are you ready? I'm ready. We actually had a little chat before we started, and you said you like to hide from the internet. That was actually not my first question, because the only thing I could really find on you was the through Google Images. And you have a very, especially on um, Upstatement, I was looking at the Teams page, and it was like, smile, 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 and then it was like, stone cold Steve Austin. Is that a look? And if you could rate yourself on a scale of seriousness, one to 10, how serious is your personality? You know, I, I oscillate from extreme serious to... Uh, extreme ridiculous. So there's a, there's a wide range of behavior. That, that's just one look. I'll switch it up seasonally. You'll see that. You'll I see like that it. Change next year. We oscillate, guys. That was a big word. I need to Google that one after this. Yeah. But man, thank you so much because I know we had to reschedule this a couple times. So thank you for giving us some of your time today. You got it. We're always busy doing work, but we're always happy to talk about design. I hope this won't be so much about me, but more about you know how careers work in this world. Yes. At Upstatement, I have to say, I have the longest design career here. Yeah. How long are you, you working at Upstate? Or Upstate? I've, been, I've been here for five years, but uh, I just passed the five-year mark on Saturday, actually. Oh, and, dang. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, in terms of people here, you know, I've been in the design world and digital space since the late 90s, which is longer than most people. I'm literally wow. working with you know, kids out of school who could be my biological children. It's crazy. <laughs> That's great. So t- tell us a little bit about that. Because I know you've definitely seen some transitions in the design industry. And, uh, and now you're, you're not just doing design, you're in the engineering space as well. So you have a lot of crossing hairs in that respect. So what have you seen? And how do you train yourself through all these generational is probably not the word, but all these new technologies? How do you consistently keep on trend with what's happening in the world of today? Yeah, like just 23 years is like a thousand years in this space. Yeah. Well, not, not a thousand years. I, 
I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna put that there. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, but th- things do change so quickly. I think the, I think the big answer to your question is that learning to learn is probably the most important skill anybody could have if they're gonna plan a long career here. You have to learn how to change over time when, you know, new opportunities emerge. And you know, I go way back to where you know web layouts were done with nested tables. You know, you're making websites. And oh dang. 20 tables and so, I mean emails are sometimes still made that way right but like using nested tables for the creation of a website like that became passe a couple years into my career so you know you learn web standards all of a sudden there's new technology you start to learn css layouts and that kind of changing has happened over and over and over again now you know now there's so much specialization i think back in the day you were either an engineer or you were a designer you, you know now you're like i'm an ios developer I'm a, yeah. I'm a strategist. You know, there's so many different specializations. And I think uh, for me, you know, watching how the industry has multiplied over the years to create all these different roles has been really interesting. And like finding your place in those roles is maybe a theme we should dig into today. Definitely. So I'm going to let you start on, um, I'm going to let you hop into that. Where in that would you like to hop in first? Like, what do you think is most important in that most of the designers today or those who are trying to approach the industry? Where should they start in, in terms of thinking about that stuff? Well, you know, I think my attitude, my point of view about design and design careers is definitely going to be different. I, I think I uh, have very strong opinions about where people need to respect boundaries and roles and where they shouldn't. I think looking back at my career, I had a complete disregard for the lines drawn between specialties. Like, yeah. um, you know, are you a front-end engineer or are you a graphic designer? Are you... right? Uh, are you an illustrator or are you a brand designer? You know, I think those kinds of vertical specializations inside the world of design, I would say in my history, I just kind of like bulldozed those and tried to do any kind of creative work I could, even yeah. when there might be people out there that are better at that particular specialty. And so my advice like, to, in general is like find your niche, but also don't be afraid to try everything. Definitely. I think it's a really large trend and at least the people that have interviewed on here where it's just like especially when you've been in the industry so long it's both sides of the conversation where it's like you need to have a strong expertise and deep understanding in a specific vertical but also having a general knowledge of all the things that touch that specific expertise and i think like exactly what you mentioned you've been in the uh this industry so long where you've touched pretty much everything that is clustered together in this uh you know graphic design illustration Engineering is now because design and tech are really just lumping together. So I think that's a great way to have put it because there's tons of people online who are like, where should I start? You know, what should I tack on uh, soft skill or technical wise to um, really add value to the employers I'm trying to get hired by? How would you broach that conversation? Because I know you want to kind of tailor this to not so much your story, but how can one position themselves to be more valuable or seen as, or stand out amongst, amongst their competition when trying to be hired? How would you approach that in talking well, to a student or whomever? I think early career is a time where you should just try a lot of things because you might not know what you're great at. You might not know that you, know, you are excellent with typography, but you are weak at, at color. You, know, you, you yeah. don't know, even within, within the discipline of graphic design, what your particular strengths are. So you really just got to try everything. That's one of the best things about being a student and having the time and space to just experimental. I actually think yeah. that experimentation is kind of what I, yes. yeah, just keep doing that. Like 
you know, if you're on a, a team with a copywriter, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to write. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to critique content as much as you are uh, creating presentations for it as a designer. I think like early on, try everything. Um, but there is a difference between, you know, broad exposure of a generalist and the mastery of a specialist. So I think one of the one of the things we've observed over time here in this studio and in other roles is like, you can be uh, generally good at a lot of things. I, I do a little bit of writing. I do, you know, I know how to write um, a persona. I know how to yeah. do user research or user testing. But really, my my gift is in uh, you know performant motion in a browser. Like, if you're a master of that, it's still useful to have exposure to all these other things. But like, yes. there are people in this studio where all they do is they just crush animations that work better than anybody else's in a browser. And I'll tell you, that's not an easy thing to, to own. That, like, when you say that, like, guys, this is why the first opening thing I said, go to their site, because I have never seen anything like this that isn't hella slow. This is very performant. Um, there's animations everywhere, like every block, and it's so well done. Like, I don't even know, how do, what do you guys build this on? Is this well, Webflow? What is it? Uh, Actually, no, I shouldn't even say that. it's just a little <laughs> bit of magic. I mean, I mean, seriously though, like you have, we, uh, we have a group of designers and engineers here that are kind of cross-functional. So our designers often tend toward also being front-end developers with specialties in that world. And our engineer, yeah. our engineers are literally making personal sites that are featured on TypeWolf and showcased on design sites. So you've got this cross-functional team where people are like writing React apps, and then you have somebody else who. Um, you know, is basically writing templating for content management systems, but their role is designer. So like, I, I would say that's where the, the boundaries between the, you know, engineering design disciplines here get blurred. However, like one thing that we get, that I get really excited about is what I call the material of the web. Like what is the web today made of and how's that changed over time? So when you think about animation yeah. and performance, uh, when you think about accessibility, when you're thinking about making a homepage for MIT that has to be accessible to everybody, like, how do you master the substance of the web? I, you, you, you know, we talked about design and technology, but I actually think I, I draw a triangle and I say there's design, technology, and content. Those are the three corners of what the web is made of. Like, Definitely. you really have to own all three corners to make something you know, that makes people shit in their pants. <laughs> well said. I like that. I think that might be one of the, one of the quotes I take out of here. But uh, so... With the three triangle, the content, the technology, and the design, how would you say somebody should approach this? Because, again, I, and I'm kind of trying to pull a specific answer out of you because I know my answer to this. It's w one skill at a time. I feel like, you know, master design first, then figure out content, and then figure out the technology side. Like you mentioned, you have designers who dabble in, you know, they're multi-skilled and they can do these beautiful designs that I'm just 100% floored by, especially on the services page, guys, just go visit that page and just watch it for like 24 hours. The animation is constant and it's beautiful. But like when you, in your career, did you like, oh, I have to learn all three things in the, in the triad at once or uh, did you do one at a I'm time? Not, I'm not an organized learner, so I might not be a good case study for normal people, but I think I tried to do it all at once. And, uh, you know, my, my early exposure you know, in terms of career, what, I've never had a job in my life where there was a role yeah. find. Like, I never had a yeah. job where you're like, oh, here's this is a design position. Here's the job description. In fact, <laughs> I always went about it in a funny way where I took a job and defined it within the company I was working for. Like, they didn't know what a designer did. So then I 
was hired and I invented a, a role based on what I could do or what I could learn. And that's actually been a weird trend in my personal career where, you know, I, I joined a small company yeah. which making web software and they didn't know how to do it and neither did I, but I convinced them to hire me anyway. And I just like figured it out. That was my first job. How do you make a learning that's management system and online courses for doctors that are accredited? You know, that, that was like a weird startup where they didn't have any technology people or web people. And I wasn't really that. So yeah. I forged away and, and, you know, they ended up making millions of dollars based on, you know, making stuff on the web. Wow. All right. Now, now this gets really interesting because now we have a whole another path that I want to go down. Mm -hmm. Defining your own role in the jobs that you've been in. So you've been doing this your entire career, basically just how many other places have you been, by the way? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're currently, you've been at Upstatement for five years. Yeah. Um, I was, I was the executive creative director of Boston University for almost nine years where I built a big wow. digital team, but that started with, you know, a small new office of, you know, two, two people. Uh, and and yeah. there was no, there was, there was no mandate. Um, you know, it was like, Hey, we need somebody in communications to make websites for BU and between, you know, 2005 ish, uh, to nine years later, you know, that built up into 30 some odd digital specialists and, you know, a lot of, a lot of interesting work. And that's when I joined Upstatement. Uh, before that I was talking about that startup. So I've really been at three different places. I'm kind of like a, career monogamist, five-year run, nine-year run, <laughs> five years of upstatement. Those are long distances, man. I, I like short bursts. I no, no, but I think that's really interesting. So let's, because I also think this is uh, another big topic of like defined roles. A lot of designers that I've had conversations with, they, what is it? The people that they work with don't understand design, right? So, and then they get, they get frustrated by that. So what can we say to those people who are possibly listening on this podcast how did you win the trust of those who you were working with who had possibly, and I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth right now, but you, you can fix that. But um, maybe they didn't understand what it is that you do. How did you educate them? How did you gain that trust that from them to let you basically do your thing and grow that role to what you thought it should be? How did all that work? Yeah, I, I think the, the advice that I would give my young self is the same advice that I give designers here, which is if you do great work, People will give you more responsibility. They'll give you more opportunity. So it could start with a small thing, like you, you do a small web project for a burgeoning team, and all of a sudden that small project goes well, you get a medium-sized project. You work on that medium-sized project. You show them how it's done. You succeed. All of a sudden, you're working on a big project. And actually, that's, yeah. in my, that's, that's, how, that's the way careers get built, and that's the way credibility is earned by the time you know, you, you have a run for a few years at a place. If you are, you know, the person, the go-to person, you know, that's earned, that's earned equity inside a big organization. That's your personal yeah. brand inside a big place. You earn that by doing good work. And, and that's, that's the only answer that anybody needs to hear. I think there's a lot of people and, you know, every designer is different. Some people really like structure and guidance and a repeatable process yeah. that's been laid yes. out ahead of them. And other people are fine going into the fire and not knowing exactly how they're supposed to get out of it. But they're, you know, if they make it out alive uh, and, and, you know, they, they prove that they can be a valuable contributor in some way, that's actually to me the fastest way to ascend in any organization. I definitely agree, but I, I'm, I'm going to go one level deeper. So there, there's, I think there's two types of, there's introverts and there's extroverts, right? 
Um, I'm guessing between. I don't know what that word is. We can Google that later, guys. But the good work segment, there's tons of just just in the world. We're not even talking about it can be in the workplace and out of the workplace. There's people who have amazing work on like their websites, Dribble, Behance, whatever. And they still complain that they don't have the credibility either in-house in their organization or um, they're not getting enough freelance clients. That's a whole nother story in itself because there's a lot in that. Do you think you can build credibility just on great technical skills? Uh, I think you can, uh, you can prove to be a collaborator that multiplies the effectiveness of everybody around you by being you know, a force to fight for good ideas, for creating ideas that add value to being a contributor that pushes things forward. I think like you earn your reputation mm. by forging ahead and respecting the people around you, but like really uh, being a force for forward progress. Like if you can come up with good ideas and you can actually, actually manifest them, and I think this is where uh, narrower roles are limited inside big organizations, if you can be the one yeah. not to leave of an idea, but to manifest it, like that's the story of my career. It's like, hey, I'm not only gonna suggest something, but I'm gonna show you how it can be done. So be the doer as well as the, the kind of manager. I think that's something that maybe some people don't have the opportunity to do, but has been, um, you know, a, a position I've found myself in over and over again. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, I want to pick out the keywords here because I think they're, they've been said better than I've been able to put to put into words. Good work is like the first and the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of people just say like, oh, I just need to do good work, which means push pixels better. But I think they lose out on the what you said, the collaboration piece and the pushing forward ideas. Right. Or, um, you know, they're just like, oh, I just need to design better. And they don't really figure out how to work with the team or build the relationships. As I think I was trying to see if I would get that from your direct quote from you. But you, you use the word collaborator. So you can't just do good work on, on itself. You have to drive and collaborate with other people. So you, like you said, build your personal brand um, in the company so that you're that go-to person to go with, go to for, uh, you know, any one of those problems that you're trying to move forward with. Yeah, I think, I think I also mentioned respect. Like you have to be respectful of everybody else around you as people and also like in, in relationship building, the secret is you need to make them look good. Like if you're working with yes. a group of people, if you're working for a boss or you're working for a product owner, like your job is to make something that's so good that they look good. And all of a sudden you get a lot of creative freedom. Like that's the earned credibility that I'm talking about. Like if you make yep. everyone around you look good because of the power of your ideas and your ability to manifest things maybe quickly or at a high level of quality, like that's actually, that has a halo effect on your team and on your, on your clients. If you're a service provider or a consultant and like, you know, you're going to get callbacks from them. You're going to get more work. Yeah. Um, stakes are going to get higher. It's just about laddering up in a way that's based on what you can do. And I think like, uh, honestly, like doing good work is a simplification. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack inside doing good work. It's, it's communicating well, it's thinking on your feet, it's 
No. Knowing when to edit the ideas down to something that's achievable. Like there's a lot of little, you know, little things that you need to know how to do to think strategically. Yeah. But also it is about pushing pixels around better. Like that's part of it. You have to still make something that looks better. Yes. Than everybody else's. Yeah, and I think that can look um, like a couple different ways. Like, for example, um, you might not have the technical skills, but you might be really good with relationship building and you might know the three people who don't know each other in the organization or work far from each other, pitch them your idea and make something great together. I've seen that as well. Um, and I know that's a skill set that I possess where it's just like I'm there's people who are out there who have way better skills than me, but I know I'm like the connector and I can... <laughs> pitch the idea so it's not um and the reason i'm saying this is it's not like one and i'm sure you would agree you wouldn't say that there's one size fits all for the quote-unquote doing good work it could also be the that good work could be the collaborating side where it's like you're just a really good connector and relationship builder and you know who to go to um and bring together to make that idea happen would you say that yeah, is also and, true and there's it's what is also always true is there's always somebody better at a, a specific skill than you. There's yeah. always better out there. If I draw letters, there's always a better type designer out there. If I, yeah. if I draw a picture, if I draw like a logo, there's always somebody who's going to be able to do that better. So I actually think it's making good choices along the way for who you include and who you bring in. Like in our world now, we'll, we'll, we'll hire type designers to help us with a logo type or an identity. Mm. We might prototype it and do a rough version because you know we, we have ideas we want to get down or provide direction for somebody. But I actually think as you're saying with connections, looping people in that are great copywriters, uh, strategists, engineers, specialized engineers, if there's some sort of skill that you lack inside your own world, like that's the connection that I think is critical, but also like knowing when to give people their own opportunities. You know, my later stage in my career, when I become more of a manager and maker, yeah. it's about getting out of the way for, for other people to succeed on their own. And when you have people that you, that you kind of create space for and they succeed, it's equally or more gratifying than if you do it yourself. So like that, that's the story of my career at Upsave is there's so many talented people here. Like I'm inspired daily by them and my job is to likewise inspire them to do their best work and to support them and facilitate that. Like my, my, you know, my story about earning your way up is different. Yeah. than you know, my, the story of like running a world-class design studio um, that said, I still make designs and I still think they have to be better than anyone else's. <laughs> it's it's the two-way street. It's just you're very self-competitive in addition to, um, you know, being competitive on a larger scale where you're, you're managing a team. And like you said, you have to get out of the way so that they can perform and do their thing. I think that's healthy. So let's change gears really quick into the perspective of somebody who hires designers what does, because this is also, I've been, I guess I, this is like the question of every week. It's not the question of the week. You know, how do I get, we mentioned this in the beginning, standing out from your competition, how much do, or how much do you care about technical skills compared to like, actually, no, technical skills are important, but would you hire somebody who just has on paper, has great technical skills versus somebody who um, has like an online personal brand, has the same technical skills and also has a proven track record of how they apply those skills to businesses and helps them perform better. Like that's candidate A, candidate B. Which one is better? This is a huge topic to discuss. I will say Upstate was founded by people who did not finish college. You know, like mm. there are people here. I've worked with the best engineers in my career were dropouts. Like 
I don't think what you what you have on paper is important at all. I think it's about who you are as a person, how you speak to a room and a group when you're in an interview, yes. and it's what you it's basically what you have done. Like I think what you can do is in you know the only indicator for what you can do is what you have done. So exactly. a promise that is on paper is an empty promise as far as I'm concerned. Like where you went to school, what level of education you have, those things are are much smaller than you know, do you pass the asshole test? Are you, are you cool? Are you somebody I want to work with? And then like, what, what can you show me that you've done and speak to me about it? What did you do? Are you excited about that work? Are you proud of it? What, what did you do inside this project? I mean, there's like, that's how you get a call back. All right, cool. <sighs> I would love to know if you guys have like a, you know how uh, most companies have like some sort of, whether it's like pre-work or they kind of haze, I'm, I'm using the word haze, but they basically attack with four or five people in a room and they just ask questions that they want. I would love to know if like after the debriefing, you guys like did he or she pass the asshole test? All right, great. How was their work? <laughs> well, like, you know, like I, I, I've always thought of that, like the first phone screen, sometimes the first uh, contact is like, oh, you've got a portfolio that's interesting. I'm going to call you up or, you know, yeah. make a pitch for a call. Within the first minute, you're like, yeah, they, they didn't pass that test. You know, like that, that's not somebody who I think we could, we could work well with. No, um, that is a really say, big thing. Yeah, it's a, hu- it's a huge thing. I mean, and you know, I would say that the benefit of hiring designers is that the work is visible. It's visual. It's the easiest thing in the world to assess whether or not a designer who is primarily a visual designer has what it takes. Mm. And the assessment is like, what do you have? What can you put in front of me? Maybe you sent me a PDF. Maybe you just sent me a Dropbox link and I'm looking at some files in a folder. Maybe you're sent, maybe you have a glossy site. It doesn't take that much. It's really a qualitative yeah. judgment of like what's in it. Is it high profile? Is it a self you know, initiated project? Yeah. What is it? What do they do? How does it look and feel and work? Is it a Squarespace portfolio or is it a uh, kind of handmade yeah. website that they use to learn, you know, teach themselves JavaScript. All these things matter, but you can assess that within 30 seconds. Definitely. And that brings me to this next thing, because I actually was, uh, I knew how to respond to this question. It was actually a comment on one of my uh, pieces this week. So basically what I was saying was, if you don't have, basically if you're not hired as of right now, you're out of school or whatever, continue making fake projects to showcase your skill to possible employers. And then Basically, because it doesn't really matter whether or not you have real clients or not. If, if you're entering the industry in the first stage is to prove your technical skills. And that second piece, which you just mentioned, is their website like handcrafted? Um, is this something that they're super serious about in terms of like, you know, design? Are they really into it? And having two candidates, one that creates something every day or uh, every week versus a candidate that just has that piece of paper. You know, the person who's, you know, going at it every day and trying to learn something new in my mind. And I'm sure how would you respond to that? In my mind, the person who's doing something every day is way more invested. Yeah, I'll say I'll say again, the only indicator of what you can do is what you have done. So if you create all this self-initiated work and, you know, I'll I'll tell you, here's here's these are real case studies. I have removed the names to protect these individuals, but I have had (laughs) several interviews in like two months where, you know, one individual I uh, said, so, well, I've been working in the industry for five years and, you know, I really wish I could learn to code, but I just haven't. And uh, maybe upstatement's the place for me. And yeah. they, if you haven't, if you've been out there in the world working as a professional and you haven't spent the time to learn how to code and you say that this is a big goal, 
I know yeah. as somebody who's entirely self-taught, I've never took a class on how to code in my life. I think you either do or you don't. You know, that's that's something that you can learn at any point. Coding is one of those skills that I think anybody can learn. Um, design is another story. Yeah, anything. The, you just gotta. It's it's like habit. You yeah. you just have to like take take aside ten to fifteen minutes a day to start. Even maybe five. Just uh, figure some shit out, and then okay. and then. And then yeah, just, here's another case study. Somebody, somebody comes in, they're just out of school and they've made all this stuff, but it's not real. It's not for any client. It's not on a, on a professional job. They probably spent late nights drinking too much coffee, you know, making, you know, making their thing and saying like, I made this, uh, I made this portfolio site. I made this, this fictitious product. I made an identity for this brand that I like. I did a rebrand. And I know that yeah. there's criticism of these self-initiated kind of rebrands and, and things but like. If you're doing that stuff, I see what you can do if I put you on yeah. a team in a real client project. So my advice to anybody is just like try a lot of stuff. It doesn't have to be tons of work, but the work has to be the work has to be qualitatively good and interesting. And I think that's how you can set yourself apart. But I've also seen people yes. who just do really good positioning of ideas where the graphic design is not super special, but the ideas are really impressive and they can talk about them in a really impressive way. And that's a totally different skill set that puts you in yeah. another place to contribute. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like world-class graphic design all day long. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's design thinking that can be visible or made visible, even at a student. Definitely. And I think that I'm glad you said all of that because a lot of people, I think, or I can't even say a lot of people, I keep using that word. A lot of the questions I tend to get are um, on the technical side and not so much on the presenting or the positioning of ideas like you mentioned like I am no way, shape, or form the best designer out there, but I'm way more personable. People know me because of my personality and the way that I make people laugh or the way that I present ideas. Whereas my counterparts, they're the ones that are designing and they might not have the personality or the relationship building skills or, um, you know, those things that I present, but, you know, they're better designers. So it's just, that's why team is so important and being able to pull yourself with the people who can fill the gaps of your weaknesses. And also it's important to know, just like you mentioned, that it's not just about the, I would say knowing how to position ideas and sell ideas is still a hard, a hard skill. Not everybody can do that. No, we have, you know, ups and downs, even in projects today, even with a bunch of experts in a room, you're going to have challenges with stakeholders or client teams that are, mm -hmm. are not particularly functional. Um, but, but as you're saying, like we, we actually at Upstatement over the past few years, we've developed a skill chart, which is true for each role. We have engineering one, we have a producer one, and we have designer skill charts. It's a whole yeah. bunch of criteria from research strategy, information design, interaction design, visual design, programming, presence, communication, mentorship, yeah. management, and counsel. Like these are all skills that people have. And I'll tell you not one designer lines up with another. They're all different in terms of how they chart out. And we have those things ranked on levels from starting out to contributor, adaptable contributor, growing contributor, you know, emerging lead, uh, and so on and so forth, yeah. all the way up to master. So each one of those skills could be charted on a particular skill level. And all of a sudden you look at everybody's skill profile, it's completely different, like a fingerprint, and you target every six months, what are the things you're going to be focusing on building and, and learning? And like, we're very systematic and scientific about how you cultivate and nurture talent because we actually think in some cases you should build your spikes and in other cases you should build your weaknesses and mm -hmm. like you you have to be really deliberate about what you're focusing on from cycle to cycle 
But that said, like everybody's going to be different. And, and, and the creation of a team is like a chemistry experiment. If you're like, I'm going to take you, who's, who's the glue and the connector, and I'm going to put you with a nonverbal interaction designer because I think you guys will balance each other out and make yeah. something that is. And the, and the big goal here is to make something with a team that's bigger than the sum of its parts, right? I've heard other guests on your, uh, and your show talk about how when math doesn't work out, it's like, oh, yeah, one, one plus one equals seven. And those are things that, like, a great team can do to, to yeah. suppliers of each other. That's really good stuff. Now, I, I got two questions. One, was that skill chart from what was, where did that come from? Because in my mind, when you started talking about that, I immediately thought about the book Principles. Is that where it came from? Or was this something, uh, have, another idea? I have no source. We invented something that could be a tool that is very similar to lots of other tools out there, but we made it because we saw a need for it inside our world. It's partly because huh. we failed. When I joined five years ago, it was like seven people here. Now, yeah. 43. So that's, that's five years. It's a five years of growth and like all of a sudden you've got designers here that are so talented. You want to keep them feeling like they're moving forward in their careers. You yeah. need a way to measure that. You need a way to track it. You need a way to help them level up in their own minds because, you know, it doesn't work to just say, Hey, we're, we're, you know, a small group of really smart, talented people making great stuff. Um, you yeah. got to make sure that people feel like they can create a capital C career inside a studio like this. That's insane. I guess um, the first time I heard anything like this was in um, the book Principles by Ray Dalio. For those of you guys who are listening, we'll, I'll put a link in the description below. It's a very hefty book, um, a very, very good read. And basically, they used it not only as an onboarding tool where, or an interview tool where they would assess not only if they passed the asshole test, mm -hmm. but if, um, you know, where on this team, on their team, would they be best uh, suited through you know, whatever test and where it basically spat them out as a, in terms of their result and where they would fit in with the rest of the people in that program that they had, which I thought was super smart because they had a database of who's already in there, who's going to be coming in and where are they going to be compatible based on, you know, what role they were going to be in. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Were you about to say something? I was just saying, we're, we're, we're like building apps around it to support, you know, to support ongoing performance tracking. And we have, we have all kinds of review cycles and stuff that we tap into, but ultimately like it's going back to kind of the ideas of specialization, mastery, generalists, like a generalist is never really a true generalist. You're not flat across, you know, 10 bars of skills. You're usually yeah. uneven in some way. And I think it just gives us a real transparent and clear way to, to sort of understand, you know, what people are good at and what they want to focus on. Got you. And my uh, last question here on, on this bit is, when do you recommend that the people on your team work on their weaknesses? Because I'm actually a very big, I don't touch my weaknesses. I'm very, like people who know me, my partner, everybody else, like I do not touch the shit that I am horrible at. And I get a lot of complaints, but because that's a lot of time that is not spent on what I could be learning that much quicker. So I'm really curious about, you know, how you go about teaching or presenting the information to those on your team, like, hey, you're really good here, but you know, here's some other things that need to be worked on. So I might even learn something in a new perspective from you because I, I might just be really ignorant in the way that I think. So well, no, I, I, I doubt that's true. I mean, I think you're probably intuiting your own career path, but I say it comes down to a very simple question, which is, is it holding you back from doing what you mm -hmm. want to do? Or the things that are, are skills that are underdeveloped in you personally, 
holding you back from doing what you really want to do. I think some of that is backing into where do you want to be in five years? If, if you want to yeah. be, you know, if you want to be head of design at you know a global brand and you are having trouble getting consensus, you know, group consensus in a room, well, maybe we should focus on communication and presence in, in terms Got of communication. You. you know, but if you don't care about that, okay. and actually we talk about like they're kind of it's a false binary, but this idea of are you a maker? Are you on a maker path or are you a manager path? Are you gonna be yeah. overseeing a team, leading a team, running projects, being point of contact with you know clients and so forth? Or are you actually just do you want to be a heads down contributor collaborating with internal teams, you know, inside a consultancy? And I think being a maker doesn't mean you have a ceiling. Some people's disposition, whether they're introverted or they just get a thrill out of having their hands on the work all the time. Like you can be a maker and have an amazing career and make tons of money and get rich and famous. If that's what you want. You can be a manager and probably go in a different way. If you are thinking about one of those choices and you're leaning one way or the other, then your the assessment we would put on your skill chart would be like, well, maybe as a person who aspires to be a manager of a big team, there are some of these skills that you haven't really focused on that are weaknesses, quote unquote weaknesses underdeveloped skills. We need to invest in those. That's a target for next cycle. And you know what? What would come out of that is we're going to put you in a situation where you can actually do the stuff that you feel like you're shaky on, you know, because you can't, you can't get better if you're not practicing. You come up with a program where you're like, you know, actually I'm a great designer, but I'm a bad front end developer. I'm a weak front end developer. Let's get you coding. Let's get you coding with a mentor pair with, and you can level up, but you're going to have to put the time. Definitely. That was really well said. And I love that you said goal based because whenever I hear someone say, and it's a, it's a trigger word <laughs> actually for me. That's why, that's why. Cause when I hear, um, you know, focus on your weaknesses, I'm, I feel like that's almost an attack on a person and not giving them uh, due diligence on where they're really strong. I feel like it's a misfocus of attention, but I love that it's goal based and you're like, well, where do you want to head? And starting with them first and where their goals are. And you're just like, okay, if this is where you want to be, this is where we want to, you know, position you to actually get there. So mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely amazing. And I'm glad I actually asked that question because I am every time, because I just assume when I hear focus on your weaknesses, it's in a negative way. But I really do agree with everything that you said. And I think that like for me, when I say I only focus on my strengths, like I'd rather be positioning myself on how can I be a better marketer online rather than how can I be a better dish cleaner? Because I know the dish, the sink is full, but I'm not doing those. <laughs> not holding so. you back either. I mean, you know, as an example, I know it's an abstract one, but you don't have to worry about the dishes because that's not part of your, that's not going to be in your way as you're laddering up in your career. Exactly. I love that. All right, man, we are about closing time here. I want to ask a couple things because your glasses make you extremely studious. Um, and I know, or at least I'm assuming that you're a reader. I read a bit. <laughs> that means a lot. What are you li- listening to reading li- recently? And what can we dive into to, you know, just either enjoy ourselves or just get a good tidbit of information? Well, you know what? Um, I'll be honest. I only read science fiction and fantasy. I That's perfect. Read, yeah. I don't read, <laughs> I don't Unless read gonna... any, like business books or like yeah. books. I, I believe that that would cloud my ability to be inventive and uh, I would just be following oh. ideas that other people have laid out. But that that's my own personal point of view. So I only no, I read books that. that couldn't possibly exist in reality. That's absolutely, no, nobody's ever said that. And I think that's a, 
again, this is why I like talking to different people because there's no set in stone way. And I love that you don't want to be impressioned by what's already concrete. And you're just like, I don't, I don't want to see anything that's already in existence. I want something that doesn't really exist in reality so that I can be a loose cannon and, you know, tie my own, make my own connections and bring that into reality. And I love that. All right. So that is the, the alarm. Time's up. <laughs> Time's up. So, all right. Last closing remarks. What would you like these people who are listening to either know about you, think about, or even just have a good day? What are your closing remarks, Scott? I think my, my big uh, encouragement to anybody out there listening is basically to, to allow yourself to have uh, bad ideas. Basically, let yourself get into a flow mode when you're creating something. Create a space with people where, you're, where you can laugh at bad ideas. You can invent things that can't work. And uh, allow yourself to work through all those so that you can get to the good ideas. So think freely, get yourself into flow mode, produce a ton of ideas, and then sit back with people you trust and evaluate them. And I think being in that safe space to, to kind of come up with uh, design ideas and solutions, whether they're crazy visual ideas or solutions to big problems customers or users are having, like I think you just have to have the freedom and the space and the trust of the people around you um, to come up with ideas that suck and that's okay. And like, that's the kind of space that I would encourage in any creative. I absolutely love that. Come up with ideas that suck, allow yourself to have bad ideas. And my favorite one of today is the indicator of what you can do is what you have done. Scott, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. I absolutely appreciate it. This is one of the totally different tangents in terms of interviews that I've done and I absolutely have enjoyed it very thoroughly. So last thing, I know you said you hide on the internet, but if anybody has any questions or wants to reach out to you, how can we contact you via the internet or email? All you people can hit me up at scott at upstatement.com. That's my email address. Um, I deleted my LinkedIn profile 10 years ago, so it's done. Damn, like, he's like no, no footprint on the internet. I love it. All right, Scott, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you later. All right, guys, design huddle out. Don't forget to leave reviews. Have good smiles and enjoy the rest of your day. All right, peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.